we live by faith, not by sight. That last sentence from our scripture reading this morning admirably summarizes the journey we're on if we're Christians. Our approach to life really is different. We experience the same kinds of things other people do, but we see them in a different light and against a different backdrop. God's love illuminates our way and eternity echoes in our hearts. Uh, We know that God loves us. He demonstrated that quite clearly uh, when he sent his son to die for our sins. And we know because of that love, our future is secure. We belong to him both now and forever. Sometimes the things in this world are hard for us. Uh, In that way, we're no different than anyone else around us. For most people, experience such things. But we know those hard things don't have the last word. (laughs) Our God does, and that makes a difference. It matters. It matters to how we live and how we think and how we act. Not that any of us here live out our faith perfectly only we did. The truth is, sometimes we fall down. Sometimes we trip. Sometimes over one thing, and oftentimes over the hard things which come into our lives. And yes, when we do, God is still right there with us. He, he gets us through those times. But you know, he has also given us his word to give us understanding, to prepare us for the things which necessarily come into our lives. There's an old saw, an English proverb, forewarned is forearmed, and that is, I think, true. Knowing God's truth helps us to face life even when it gets rocky. Now, last week, uh, when we were together, we saw that we're destined to share in the sufferings of Christ, if we're followers of him. Uh, And having a share in those sufferings means that we also have a share in his glory. Being a Christian doesn't mean life will be easy, uh, but it does mean that your life and my life uh, as followers of Christ will have meaning and purpose uh, even when it comes to the hard things we go through. And even, and maybe especially, when we don't understand the why of it all. Well, that's what Paul addresses in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to invite you to join me once again in the book of Romans, chapter 8, where we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 30. And of course, uh, they'll have it up on either side of me on the screen this morning. Uh, We go here, we're going to find that we are forewarned and so forearmed for whatever might come our way. Now Paul begins by putting whatever trouble we might face into perspective. He, He sets them in eternity and he shines the light of God's love on them. We read that in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now that's an eternal perspective, and it is lit by God's love. 
we will suffer in this, this world, but those sufferings are present. That is, they are part of this world and this time. Our scripture reading referred to them as momentary. Yet there is more, more than our suffering. There is glory that is coming. The glory will be revealed in us. Christ's glory of that day when we are with him and stand in his presence will flow out of us. And those two experiences are not even comparable. Uh, We might say they're not even in the same ballpark (laughs) when the truth is they're not even in the same world. When we stand there on that shore, when we finally are with our Jesus, we'll see the things of this life with clarity and insight and understanding. And I'm telling you, if you know Christ, you will say, oh, it was worth it all. And we will give glory to God. But we're not there yet, are we? Uh, We still have this world to go through to get there. And Paul doesn't merely dismiss our sufferings. Rather, he really is uh, sympathetic to them. He understands them because he's gone through enough of his own himself. And so he talks to us about them. But he does so by bringing in an element of hope. And he begins with that idea of hope and just how thoroughly it fills our world. He he tells us that the creation itself exists in the hope of the world to come. And so we read in verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's you and I. The creation is waiting for that day when we stand in the presence of Christ, when Christ brings all of his people into his presence. Now, the world itself exists in a kind of hope. That's what waiting in eager expectation means. But there's also pain. So verses 20 and 21 say, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And then in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So, so the creation is in bondage to decay. And the creation is frustrated. And the creation is groaning. And yet the creation hopes. Now, now I have to tell you that, um, that there's some poetic elements in this passage that we're considering. And culturally, we don't do well with poetry in, anymore. 50 years, 70 years ago, 100 years ago, our culture understood poetry better. They could read a passage like this and it it spoke to their heart. We have a more difficult time with it. We tend to miss the point and we don't want to miss what Paul's saying to us. And and what, what Paul's saying is poetic but you have to understand it's full of meaning. Now I know that we think people are what waits in eager expectation People are frustrated. People groan. People hope. Maybe angels do too, but rocks? 
even trees. Well, no, that just seems silly to us. Though we might not mean to. We end up dismissing things like this by just kind of reading right over them and not catching the meaning that is in these words. So let's take some of the poetic out of it for a moment and state it maybe more plainly. Let's put it this way. First, uh, instead of saying the creation is waiting eagerly, let's just say the creation is poised for the return of Christ. And that's when the glory will be revealed in us, of course. So understand this, that our world was never created to experience the brokenness and the death which it undergoes. Every part of creation was made for something different, and it anticipates that difference. It wants to function the way it was called or created to function. It's poised. It's ready. It's waiting. Maybe we could think of it in these terms. Imagine that you have all the elements put together for an explosion. You've got the oxygen and you've got some kind of fuel. All that you need is the match. Creation is like that. When the right thing comes along, the explosion, or maybe we should say better, the change, that's going to come. And the match, the thing that brings that change, is the revealing of the children of God when we stand in the presence of our Christ. And then, too, the creation was subjected to frustration. The the world, as we said, was made to operate in a particular way, and yet it's frustrated. It's unable to work to capacity or as it was designed. And this wasn't the choice of creation itself. It, it, It was designed to operate in a certain way, and it would have continued to operate in that way. But the Creator intervened. He frustrated the creation. So we have famines and earthquakes, and the ground doesn't produce all the fruit which it could produce, and our children are born in pain. And God had good reason to do this, of course. When we go back to the creation account, we learn that since we entered into sin, sin entered into us, we're not fit to live in a perfect world. And living in a perfect world would be to our harm. So Adam and Eve were cast out of Eden. And for our sakes, to turn our eyes off of ourselves and onto God, he frustrates the creation. And when it comes to the creation groaning, I mean, we can think of it like an engine, if you would, being stressed and strained under too great a weight, a tractor pulling an immense uh, load or a heavy truck going up a steep hill. The engine is lugging, it's bogging, it's coughing, it's sputtering, it's groaning under that load. And the weight of sin restricts and it binds and it hides the glory. And when that weight's cast off, there'll be real freedom. The glory will no longer be veiled for the creation will once again function as the creator designed and intended it to. The creation will be brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Yeah, I have to tell you, when I read the creation account, it seems to me that this world was created for us. 
I don't see how you can read that account without coming away with that. Everything was created for the purpose of humankind. We alone in all of creation bear God's image. Even the angels were meant to serve us. Now, of course, we have to remember we were meant for God, right? And once again, humanity is restored. Then the creation will also be restored. Its freedom and its glory derive from us while ours comes from our Creator and our Savior. This is the world that we live in. This is our reality. Our world's broken. We feel its brokenness. But there is coming a day when it will be set free in us. Now there's another kind of groaning going on, though, uh, along with that of creation. The creation looks forward to its freedom, and so we who are in Christ also look forward. Verse 23 says this, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. You know, all people must groan under the present situation. But the Christians experience it in a different way. The, the lost world's groans are the result of suffering or a, a cry for help or, or an expression of anger and frustration. When we groan, we are looking forward also. It's not merely a reaction to our pain. I mean, we feel that pain, yes, but it, it's a natural to us to groan at such times. But, but we know there's more coming on to us and coming in us. And, and we know that is true. And, 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 and that that's coming makes all of this worthwhile. So our groan just isn't in pain. It's also of a kind of a longing. Maybe it's like a groan of a runner in the midst of a race, feeling the pain, and yet looking forward to that finish line. Paul uses an interesting description of the believer here. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. The lost don't have the Spirit, and so they have no fruit from Him, but we do. We have the Spirit, but there's more yet to come of Him. We have just the beginning of him, just the promise of all that's coming. And, and, I, and I think, if this is just the beginning, well, you can imagine what it's going to be like, can't you? Every time the Spirit has ever worked in your heart, has ever spoken to you, has ever encouraged you, who has ever comforted you, I mean, think of what that would be like when we have the fullness of the Spirit. He's with us now, we know. We've experienced it, and we long for what is yet to come. And the next couple of verses add to this understanding, 24 and 25. For in this hope we're saved, but the hope that's seen is no hope at all. I mean, who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. So Paul's pointing out that all of these things... They were groaning for are in the future. Uh, and he makes several points. First, the hope we have is, is hope in something at this point which is unseen. 
In that sense, it defines the Christian hope. It's beyond our reason, though it is reasonable given God's existence. We live the Christian life by faith, and God leads us one step at a time. And and we've talked about that before, but it's such an important concept. Remember, the Word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And that picture of a man carrying a kerosene lantern walking down a dark path is a beautiful illustration of the way God leads us. He gives us enough light to take the next step on the path. He leads us not by sight, but by faith. And God is leading us one step at a time. And second, you know, you stop hoping for something the moment you have it, and maybe even the moment that you see it. We're all in a state of hope. Again, it's important to know, for us who believe, this hope is not wishful thinking, right? It's a confident expectation. We know what God is going to do for us, and we are waiting for We don't have it yet, but we know it's coming, not because we can see it, but because we trust God. And so we wait for it patiently. Now, what's this that picture to you, waiting for something patiently? I mean, don't you think of somebody sitting in a waiting room waiting for their vehicle to be repaired or waiting to go in and see the dentist or the doctor? But this is a different kind of waiting. This is waiting and expecting while we are living out our faith. It's active as we wait for the freedom and glory which is ours in Christ. So that's our situation. The world we live in is frustrated and groaning and in bondage to decay. It's broken and we experience its brokenness. Yet it's poised to be set free from all of that when we are. And we must go through suffering in this life, which is real and hard and painful. And so we groan under its weight. But we also long for what is yet to come. And by faith, we wait for it patiently. We live out our faith day to day while we are watching for that coming. That's our situation. That's our reality. But you know, we're not in this alone. That truth is where Paul turns to next. And he tells us about the Holy Spirit. And actually, he he tells us more about him. Uh, We've already seen that, uh, that just as it was God's plan to give us his son, so that we might be saved, so it is every bit as much his plan for us to live the Christian life in the only way we can by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now Paul tells us how the Spirit walks with us through those hard times. And so verse 26, he says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes through wordless groans. The Holy Spirit is with us always, yes. But we need that reminder uh, that he's with us through the hard times. Now, there's a lot going on in this verse, and so we're going to spend a little bit of time and take it apart so we can better understand it. First, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
that is a general statement, a general promise by God. And Paul's going to apply that more specifically in what follows. But we can say this, anytime we're weak, anytime we are in need of help, the Spirit is there for us. Again, Paul will apply that specifically in just a moment. But this truth is also emphatic. It's the Spirit himself who helps us. God has given him to us for all of life, but especially for those times of groanings. And that's the first thing we need to know. The Holy Spirit is with us to help us in our weaknesses, and we never feel so weak as when we're in the midst of suffering. But let's understand this. The Spirit helps us. He, he doesn't do it for us. Sometimes he does. I mean, last time we were together, we, we mentioned that poem, Footsteps, you know, and uh, footprints going through the sand and it's a hard times so there's only one and, and that's when Jesus carries us but you know usually what our God does for us I mean, there are times when we have to be carried and he does but usually what our God does for us he gives us the help we need to do what we must do so the Greek word here indicates that he comes alongside of us and he takes that task with us and helps us to I think you can think about a person who lifts weights and uh, he has a training partner and he's maybe he's doing bench presses and he's got that weight and he's done a couple of sets, you know, and repetitions, a couple of sets of those, and he's on his last one and he's starting to push and he can't just can't quite make it, right? And he's pushing and his training partner, what does he do? He, he puts enough pressure on doesn't do it for him, but he puts enough pressure under that bar to continue to lift it so it gets back in the rack. And in that, that man is strengthened as he lifts that weight. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And then the text tells us that the Spirit helps us in the same way. And, and what in the world is that referring to? Well, the immediate predecessor is the concept of our waiting patience. So, so understand what he's saying here. Just as it is for us, the Spirit is waiting patiently. That means he's at work in us and in the world around us, accomplishing God's purposes. In fact, it's the Spirit who's uh, bringing them to fulfillment so that creation can enter into its freedom and glory. So in a general way, the Holy Spirit is doing all of that for us. He comes alongside us in our weaknesses, whatever they are, and he gives us what we need to make it through. And then Paul highlights the specific way the, help, the Spirit helps us at those times. He helps us to pray. And when we're going through some hard thing, we turn to God and sometimes we just don't know how to pray or what to pray for. And so the Spirit steps in. Maybe we don't know what God's will is. That's often part of why we don't know what to pray. Sometimes, too, our, our heart's desire might be other than God's will, just as it was for Jesus when he was in Gethsemane. And we know that it might be. And so we find it difficult to pray. Sometimes we may even think we know what God's will is. We think we know what it might be, and it's too hard for to pray. And so many times you just don't know. And when we find ourselves in that place, the Holy Spirit steps in. 
Notice this. The creation grows. Believers grow. And the Holy Spirit also grows. See, we're struggling in our prayers. And the Holy Spirit intercedes with us through his groans. The ache and the burden of our heart is we're struggling to know just what to ask for or how to pray. It's the ache and the burden the Holy Spirit bears because he loves us. Our pain really is his pain. And then there's this longing on the part of the Holy Spirit for us. He wants us to be in that freedom and glory which is to be ours. Of course he does. He groans for that because he loves us. And you always want the best for those that you love. The groans are wordless. But that doesn't mean they have no meaning. Nor the groanings of the Spirit mere emotional expression. The Spirit's groans are intercession. There are no words in human language to express the things that are in our heart. And even if the Spirit were using words, they would be words that were beyond our ability to comprehend at those times. The Spirit's intercession on our behalf is full of heart. It's sympathetic to our burden. It's full of hope. It's a, a longing for our freedom and our glory, and it is full of real meaning, even though we may not understand it. And the Spirit's intercession for us is never frustrated. Verse 27, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Again, there's a lot of information here, so let's take a one bit at a time. God's the one who searches our heart. He knows us inside and out. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And that searching tells us that he is intensely interested in us, and he has complete knowledge about us. God not only knows our hearts, he also knows the mind of the Spirit. The God, the Spirit, and Father are, of course, always in agreement. So even when the Spirit is groaning, expressing thoughts which words can't convey, God knows exactly what he means. And finally, the Spirit always intercedes for us according to God's will. The Spirit never asks or intercedes in vain because he asks according to God's will. And so what's prayed for according to God's will, you know the Bible teaches, is always granted. Those prayers are always answered. And though we may not know what God's will is, and therefore we don't know how we should pray, the Spirit always knows. And His intercession is always granted, and it is always for our good. Now, now maybe a word of caution (laughs) is in order here. Um, We shouldn't expect the Spirit to take our place in praying. Um, Maybe He does sometimes when we just can't. But he he intercedes with us in in this kind of a groaning when we're trying to pray but having a hard time at it. And if we're not praying, well, the Spirit probably will be working to bring us to a place where we will pray. And and that might not uh, be the most enjoyable process to go through. But, you know, he is there for us when we're trying to pray but we don't know what we ought to pray. So we live in a world that's frustrated. 
groaning and bondage to decay. It's broken, and we experience that brokenness. Yet it's poised to be set free from all of that as we are. And we we must go through suffering in this life, which is real and hard and painful. And so we groan under its weight, but we also long for what is yet to come. And by faith, we wait for it patiently. And as we wait, and in our pain, we are not alone. The Spirit is with us. He comes alongside of us, giving us what we need to get through. He helps us in our prayers. He intercedes for us. His groaning on our behalf brings God's answer to our situation. Our situation in this world, in the good times and the bad times, is not complete until we remember the Holy Spirit is always with us. Now look, there are two more things that I have to say. Uh, have to at least mention before we can bring this section to a close and the things which the Spirit has a part in and we're only going to touch on them I mean really briefly uh, they deserve a lot more time so that we can give them now so we're going to come back to them Lord willing but our, our understanding for our present situation of going through these hard times uh, isn't complete without at least mentioning them and first I have to say to you that no matter what we go through God is going to make good come out of it for us. Verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now that's a really famous verse, and it's much misused, uh, but there's a lot going on here. For our purposes today, we just need to know this. No matter what we are going through in life, no matter what we have gone through or will go through, God is going to bring something good out of it for us. And secondly, we need to understand, no matter what we go through in life, God's plan is on track. So verses 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The same thing we said about the verse above applies here. There's much more to say, and God willing, uh, we'll say some of it another time. But for now, we need to understand that he called us, and if he called us, he will glorify us. His plan is on track. Even when it feels like our world is falling apart. So what are we seeing here today? Let me just once again summarize it. The world we live in is broken, and we experience that brokenness. And yet, it's poised, it's ready, it's waiting to be set free from that brokenness when we are. And we ourselves have to go through suffering in this life, groaning under its weight. And yet we also long for what's to come. And by faith, wait for it patiently. And through all of that, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, giving us what we need to get us through whatever it is we're going he helps us in our prayers, interceding for us, a groaning on our behalf. And the Father always answers his prayers for us to get us through our trials. 
And then, too, we need to know, no matter what happens to us, God will bring good out of it for us. And his plan is always on track. Freedom and glory are our destiny. And the Spirit is leading us there even through the hard times. Christ is God's gift to the world, and the Spirit is God's gift to the believer. And the Spirit is how you and I live this life we've been called to. And so all glory be to our great God. Would you pray with me? Father, you um, you amaze us just over and over. We first were told about our need and our sin. Then we were told about what you did in your son. And we were aghast. We were amazed. We were overwhelmed. We thought, what a wonderful God. Who loved sinners such as me. And then, Lord, you give us your spirit. Show us how you walk with us in this world. And you're there for us every single step of the way. We promise never to leave us, never to forsake us, to continue the good work you've begun in us. And you hold our future in your hand, and that future is bright and glorious and wonderful. Not because of anything we have ever done, simply because you love us because of what Christ did for us because of what the Spirit is doing